Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Good evening church. It is a real privilege to be here. Um I know I've been an absent face for the past few weeks, but uh, with amidst the holidays and long weekends and all these things going on, um I haven't been around as much as I would have liked to be. Uh so last week we finally finished off the book of 1 Corinthians. Um so Pastor Mark earlier in the week or last week he messaged me saying that you can choose whichever passage you would like to do. And uh, you know that sounds like a great idea, but imagine a kid in a, a candy shop with a limited budget, and uh, everything looks appetizing. Uh, that's a little bit how I felt, struggling to find uh, a passage that I thought uh, the Lord was leading me to. But I hope, by God's grace, that uh, I've landed on uh, something that He wants us to hear this evening. So, before we get into the Word, uh, let us open in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the songs we could sing about Christ slain for us. We thank you that in his death we find our life. In his sacrifice we find much blessing. In his pain we find redemption. We thank you that your mercy to us is not based on what we do or what we can bring, but Lord you have loved us from the foundations of the world before the foundations of the world we thank you for these things lord and as we come to your word this evening i pray that we just grow to understand that grace more lord even as we go about our daily life walking with you lord perhaps struggling to do so perhaps at this moment we do so joyfully perhaps we are doubting perhaps our sin lord is clinging tightly to us and we struggle to live free from it Whatever state we come to you Lord we pray please touch us each Lord we pray for the work of your spirit in our hearts please touch us Lord and speak to us this evening I pray Lord God that you'd use me I pray that you'd redeem my sinful words and thoughts and use them in some way for your glory we pray these things in Jesus name amen So if you'd like to you can begin turning to the the book of Galatians that is where we'll find ourselves this evening and I've titled tonight's message the gospel how we presently live If you are a believer here this evening you know that we partake in the gospel through faith we we haven't earned any of our salvation that it is a work of god that he has done through his son to to save us and and through that gospel we can come to him but i think often as believers perhaps what we struggle to do more than understand that is we struggle to apply that reality to our daily lives perhaps we begin saying things like this i don't feel like praying or that i can't even pray because of sin against God. I have not read my Bible today and therefore God is not pleased with me until I do. Therefore, before I go to bed, I must put in my 10-minute devotion. You see, often we we live like that. And when we're living like that, are we living are we really living 
in the grace of God or we were living on our own feeble works-based religion. And that is what I'd like to explore this evening is how can we apply the gospel to how we presently live our lives today? I want to propose to you that your hope in Christ to save you is the same hope that you carry with you every single day and every single moment, every time you sin, every time you fall short. It is the same hope that saved you, that you have hope in in that moment. I want us to come away that we can be dependent on God's grace to us and not our coming to Him, but His coming to us. Let us be gospel-orientated, gospel-centered believers, never shifting away from the confidence we have in Him. So if you're in the book of Galatians, uh, please uh, turn to chapter 2, verses 11 to 21, and we'll be looking at those verses. But just before we do that, a little bit of context to where we are in the book of Galatians as we read that. The letter of Galatians is Paul's most confrontational letter. If you've been here for the series on 1 Corinthians, you know that that's quite impressive because that's quite a confrontational letter, but this one's even more so. The churches in Galatia have been drawn to a, a different gospel, which Paul says is not really a gospel because it cannot save. And, and what Paul is doing in this letter is he's trying to convince the churches, turn back to the hope that you first had. Turn back to the gospel that I taught to you. There was teaching going around that you had to observe certain Old Testament laws in order to be part of God's people. You had to be circumcised. You had to uh, observe the Sabbath and holy days. You had to add something to this. And as we come to this passage, uh, Paul is quoting his confrontation of the Apostle Peter or Cephas when Cephas himself distorted the gospel through his own actions. And he's, he's quoting what happened here because the content of what he said to Peter applies to the Galatians. So with that in mind, let us read uh, the text from verse 11 to 21. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be saved. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 
You see, Peter had come from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is pretty much where Paul's home base is. This is where his home church was. And, so, and there were Gentiles and Jews there. It was a diverse church. So the Gentiles were the foreigners to the promises of God who had recently been grafted in. The, the hope of Christ's sacrifice promised redemption to all, Jew or Gentile. But then some Judea, Judaizers came from Jerusalem who were teaching that one needs to be circumcised. One needs to observe the Old Testament law in order to be part of God's people. Peter, to this point, before they had arrived, he was eating happily with the Gentiles. It was a wonderful display of the unity of the gospel, that whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're part of it. But when he saw his fellow countrymen come with these ideas and he knew what they thought, he began to, to shrink back, perhaps feeling some shame or nervousness about what they might say about what he was doing. And what he did is that he, differentiate, he differentiated between Jew and Gentile. He no longer sat with his Gentile friends, but he shifted to the Jews only. He was undoing the very thing that Christ sought to He was undoing the very work that Christ had done. Because the Gentiles did not observe the law, they were now being treated different. But because the Jews did, they were accepted by him. I've heard a story from one of my lecturers at college. He speaks about a, a, a poor man that one day decided to go to church. He's not a regular churchgoer, but he decided, I will go to church today. And when he arrived at the door, the welcoming committee was not very welcoming, but they turned him back because he did not have a suit on. Now, I can imagine that's a little bit how the Gentiles felt. We haven't added these works to our faith, and therefore we are not part of God's community. That is the truth that was communicated to them. And, and that poor man never once returned to church again. So that is the hypocrisy of Peter. And, and what we see in verses 14 to, to 21, which is what we'll be looking at today, is Paul's response to Peter. How does he respond? He highlights to Peter what it is to be a Christian. How does a Christian live? Do they have to observe the law? Is there justification through the law? Do they continue to add works to, the, to their righteousness in order to keep communion with God? That is what we'll be looking at tonight. So the first point, if you're a note taker, is continue the way you started. Continue the way you started. And the first part of that is how we are justified from verses 15 to 16. Paul begins by reminding Peter how they had both been saved from their sin, about how they had come to be justified. And, and if justified or justification is a big term that you've never heard before, imagine a courtroom scene where a man has been accused of terrible crimes, but then the gavel of the judge sounds and he says, not guilty, you're free to go. That is a justified man because there's no guilt in him. There's nothing wrong with him. He's not deserving of punishment. And in the same way, if we speak of justification as Christians, we speak of being not guilty before the judge, before God. Not because we are sinless, but because Christ covers our sin. But how? How do we come to this blessed state of forgiveness? How do we, become, how do we get right standing before a holy God? Verses 15 and 16 say, We ourselves are, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We achieve right standing before God through faith in Jesus Christ. Whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, black or white, everyone that believes in Jesus Christ is a justified man. Every person that only believes that Jesus is the Son of God, come from the Father, fulfilled the law, died for our sins, and rose on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, is a justified, is a saved person. Every person that has ever sinned against God, which is you and I, that has gone again what he has told us to do, is under a curse. We are under a curse, and that curse is death. For the wages of sin is death. Because we have gone against a holy and just God, he must punish us because he will not let the wicked go unpunished. That is the curse. But the gospel, the good news about Jesus, tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When Jesus was beaten and mocked and scorned and abandoned, when he was crucified and when he died, that was him being cursed by God in our place. He was cursed so that the wrath of God would be satisfied upon him, the substitute, the sacrifice, so that we would not suffer the curse, the justice of God, so that we could be free from the curse. And God has promised that whoever believes, only believes, will have eternal life. The person that receives this as true is justified, is declared not guilty. This is how we are justified. It is not by the works of the law, as, some of the, as someone told the, sorry, the Galatians, as some have told even me. Paul's intention is clear. He wanted to remind Peter how he how he had come to be part of God's people. It was not by his works, it was not because he was a Jew, not because he was circumcised, but because of the faith that he had in Jesus Christ. Let this be a reminder to you believers that if you are a believer, that you are justified before God, not because of anything you can bring or anything you can do or because you added something more than someone else, but it is because of God's initiative to you in Christ. If you're a Christian, you believe this. But, but do you believe it still? Do you believe that still? When you sin daily, well, I sin daily, I don't know about you, but when you sin daily, what do you do? What is your first response? It is, is it a response of trusting Christ to atone for your sin? Or do you feel the need, I have to do something to get right with God? Let me remind you that there's nothing you can do. God is not pleased with our petty efforts to justify ourselves. So struggling Christian, whether it is doubt or sin or your own weakness, Christ is your answer. Christ was your answer then when you first believed and he's your answer now and he will be your answer then. It is only and always Christ. 
So the first thing we need to grasp as believers is that we are saved by faith. And when we first believed, in that instance, we were justified. But yet still, we rest in that work of Christ even now and forevermore. Secondly, so the first point, we must continue in a state of believing that we are justified through faith. Secondly, of point one, so 1.2, we are dead to the law. We are dead to the law. Read with me verses 17 to 19. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And I must admit these words are quite confusing at face value, but, but the meaning is quite simple. In verse 17, this is an accusation that people make against believers who wish to be justified through faith alone. People are saying to Paul and Peter, because they have sought to be justified by faith alone, that they are sinners because they're no longer observing the Old Testament law. They're no longer doing the Sabbath and the food laws and all these things. And they're saying that you need to do this. But what Paul does is he applies this logic. He says, well, if, if Jesus taught us that we must be saved in him alone, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, if in his name alone there's the forgiveness of sins, then if he taught us that, Does that make him the minister of sin, the servant of sin, because he has brought more sin upon the world? Certainly not, is his answer. It's a ridiculous claim. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. You see, it is not Christ who is the sinner if we we, uh, turn away from the law, but it is us who are the sinners if we reinstitute the law as a means to justification. You see, Christ died on the cross, and when he died, the curtain tore in two. And that was to show that through him, there's now free access to God. We can draw near through him. It showed that the barrier of our unrighteousness that separated us from God had been removed. Yet if we begin to to rebuild what we tore down, it's as if we start, we get our sewing kit and we start sewing that curtain together. We start putting a barrier between us and God. Paul, in chapter 5 of Galatians, he says this, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You, would, who, you who would be justified by the law you have fallen away from grace. The error that Peter was making in, in distancing himself from the Gentiles because they did not keep certain laws is that he was implying that they needed something more. They were not on the same level as his Jewish friends. But for Paul, what he is saying here is that there is only two ways to be justified, either freely by believing in Jesus Well, the other way is that you have to be perfect in all regards to the law. But we know that no person is perfect, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Either you choose the first option or you choose the second option. But the second option 
will bring only death. So what attitude should we have to the law then? As believers here this evening, how should we look at the law? How should we respond? Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. And so this is, for me when I read this passage, I I think of the, the cliche movie scenes where maybe somebody has messed up really bad or done something really nasty and then the, the person turns around and looks with tears in their eyes and saying, you're dead to me. <laughs> and I think that's a little bit what Paul is saying here about the law. He's saying that through the law, I died to the law. Strange thing. But what he means is that he observed the law. He looked at what it commanded him to do. He looked at how far short he fell from it. He realized that he could not keep it. He realized that this could not save him. So through his observance of what the law required, he died to the idea that it could save him. That is the attitude that we are called to have. For when we turn to Jesus, we are dead to the law. We have given up seeking righteousness that comes from the law, but we've sought the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. In Romans 7 verse 1, Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? When we are raised to life in Christ, we die to the law because we realize that this cannot do. It cannot save I believe that we understand this. If we believe as we must understand it. But again, if this happens when we are saved, do we still live like it on the daily? Are you dead to the law? Are you dead to the law? Do you accept that there's absolutely nothing you can do to add to anything that God has done? Do you believe still that it is only God's initiative to you that can save you? Or are you leaning on yourself? You see, if we, believe, if we are not dead to the law, as Paul describes, then that brings much pain, much worry, much anxiety, because we are constantly worried, I need to do this thing or else God's favor is not upon me. But that is not how God's favor came upon you. But God loved us. He loved us first before we even knew him, before we cared about him. While we were still hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, he loved us. Brothers and sisters, die to the law in your daily walk. Believe that there's nothing you can do to add to it. But I don't want this to be misunderstood. I'm not saying that now you must close your Bibles and stop praying and just... uh, go about living licentiously and doing everything that your heart desires. But I'm saying die to the idea that what you do can make you right before God or can add anything to your salvation. So that's the first thing. We need to continue in these things. We need to continue in justification through faith. We need to continue dying to the law and not relying upon it. Then point number two, I've titled The Gospel-Centered Life in Action. The Gospel-Centered Life in Action. What does this life as a believer look like on the daily grind? So verses 20, uh, from verse 20 we'll draw three points. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live by faith, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first part of your daily life of living in the gospel or living through the gospel in your relation to Christ is, is death. Might sound a bit strange, but Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, in Romans 6 verse 3, and I'm aware that Dan preached in this last week, so you guys all know what I mean. Uh, Romans 6 verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized were baptized into his death? And in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's a sense, according to Paul, that when Jesus died on the cross, in his death, we die. And I, I don't believe I can explain that. I don't mean that we are physically and literally there, but there's a union between us and Christ that when he died, we too died to ourselves. In a sense, I have been crucified with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the old that has passed away. Yourself, you have been crucified with Christ. Your sinful self that sought after the world, your sinful self that loved everything except for God, that part of you has died. The moment that you were regenerated, in an instant, you were crucified. You were crucified. And what that means is that your desires, your goals, your aspirations, your, your loves, your mind and your heart, everything that you have and are is slain to Christ. It means that there's nothing in you that belongs to you anymore. Nothing that you are belongs to you anymore. You need not crucify yourself, for God through the Spirit has destroyed the old man with his wicked desires. What this means is that for believers, as we go through this life, we ought not to go living for ourselves. We ought not to go living for ourselves because if the Holy Spirit works within us, then our mind will be set on the things of the Spirit. But if He lives not within us, then we'll set our mind on the things of the flesh. We no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in us because we live only for Him. And do you see how that is different from a works-based righteousness? You are already dead. You cannot justify yourself anymore because you are already a dead man. It is not even you who lives anymore, so you need not justify yourself, for you are already dead because you live only to Christ. So that's the first part. Living the gospel daily means to be a crucified person. Secondly, we are people who live only to Jesus. What this means is that for believers, as we go through this life, we are not living for ourselves, but it's as if our heart, our dreams, our desires, our aspirations, all these things have been consumed by the love of Christ, so that all that remains is a desire to live for Him. And you see a sense of that in the latter part of verse 20, when he says, 
who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see his motivation to live for Christ is the fact that Christ died for him? His motivation to die to himself is because Christ died for him? In Philippians 3 verse 7 to 8, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Do you see here that that is a man that is crucified to himself? He's given up everything, everything that, everyone, that anyone could possibly have. He was the best Jew, the best, uh, most righteous person. He was a prominent figure within the Pharisaic system, but he gave it all up. His only desire was to know Christ and live for him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is how God has designed us to relate to him. It is not us doing certain things to relate to him, but it is us totally being swallowed up by the life of Christ so that our very life is living for Christ. It is far more than just a few petty works. Thirdly, we do this continually by faith. Continually by faith. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As a dead, crucified man who no longer lives unto himself, but lives unto Christ alone, he lives constantly by faith in the Son of God. You see, our walk here, brothers and sisters, is not meant to be this thing of us constantly doing it on our own, on our own but it is a constant relationship of trusting our Savior. You trusted Him then, trust Him today, and trust Him forevermore. It is a constant union. It is a constant relationship where we look to Him for our all. It is about knowing Him. It is about communing with Him. It is not about us doing things to keep His favor His favor is already upon us if we are in his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we are not to depart from the faith that we first began in. We are not to walk apart from trust in him. For it is only when we are trust in him that we can draw near to him. Hebrews 10 verse 19 onwards says, Therefore, brothers, since we, have been just, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Because we have this marvelous Savior, do you trust him now? If you trust him now, O Christian, you can draw near. No matter your sin, no matter your weakness, no matter the things you've done or failed to do, no matter whether you feel like it or not, you can draw near. You have access through the blood of Christ to the holy of holies. You can know him. 
In verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do we nullify the grace of God? How great do we think the grace of God is? Is it only enough to save us once, but not enough to deliver us daily? Do we really know the grace of God if we are adding our works as if a means to continue our relationship with Him? Daily, daily rely on Him and walk not by yourself. Don't nullify the grace of God. Continue trusting Him and Him alone for your salvation, for your righteousness, for your access to God. So in closing, just to summarize, continue as you first began, justified by faith and not by works. Continue in that. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. There's a saying, start as you mean to go on. Start as you mean to go on. And now you've started by faith. Go on in faith. Continue in a state of deadness to the law. Do not seek anything to add anything to your salvation because that is just like sewing up that curtain because God is not pleased with our petty works to bring us near to him. And then walk in the gospel-centered way as a crucified person who lives only for Jesus continually by faith. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you that we need not to earn your favor and love. We thank you that we, you save us by your grace and you keep us by your grace. And day by day, we know that there's nothing that we can add to your grace to make you love us more than you already have. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us. Lord, perhaps there's somebody here who is just feeling downtrodden by their sin, Lord, who feels as though God has deserted me because I am too unrighteous. Or, Lord, that they have somehow lost favor with you because they, they're just not good enough. I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us all to just continue to relate to you through the gospel, through Jesus, through what he has done, trusting in him alone, not relying on the things we can bring you because we can't bring you anything. Help us, Lord God, to live as a crucified people, Lord, who live not unto ourselves, but live unto you alone. Help us to continually look to you in faith, Lord Jesus, for you have loved us and you gave yourself for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.